Hey everybody, before we get started today, we have some vital news for Apple Podcast listeners. In case you haven't heard, Apple recently did another update. This update kicked a lot of our followers off the show and paused notifications for new episodes. It even happened to some of our own team members, so you definitely want to check out your settings. To see if this happened to you, open your podcast app, search for the 200% Life, and select the show page. In the top right corner, you may see either a follow button or a pause symbol. Tap either one of those to make sure you are following the show and getting new downloads. This really helps you by making sure new episodes show up in your feed so you never miss an episode. It also makes sure new episodes are downloaded to your phone so you can listen to them when you're not connected to Wi-Fi. It's also really helpful to us. When you follow the show, the algorithm helps us spread the 200% life philosophy to new listeners. This is true for other platforms as well. So while you're at it, whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or another favorite platform, please be sure to hit the follow, subscribe, or like button. This helps us reach new listeners and teach them how to use business as a conduit for their personal growth. And as always, we'd love to hear any questions you'd like us to cover on the show. Maybe it's a situation you're struggling with personally, or a topic you think would be helpful to a friend. You can drop your questions in the Q&A box in the show notes on Spotify, or you can email us at hello at adamhergenrother.com. And don't forget to turn on your notifications to be alerted when we cover them. I'm Adam Hergenrother, and this is Business Meets Spirit Chatter. We believe the 200% life, 100% inner world, 100% outer world. You know, it's funny. I just got one of my friends um, to uh, do transcendental meditation. On my way up here this morning, he called me, and he's like, hey, can I talk to you about two things? And I was like, sure. And he, one thing was about something else. And he's like, I got to tell you, man. He's like, I'm on day five of this transcendental meditation piece. And he's like, I'm spinning. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, I, he's, he's just, he's one of those super high energy dudes anyways. Um, but he's like, I just want to say thank you. Like, this was like the, it's just like, I don't even know what's happening right now. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's the, I just explained the 200% life concept to it. Right. And it's, and it's cause I look, when I get my friends, I don't go in there and start becoming a preacher of like, 100% in our world, 100% outer world. It's like when people ask about it, that's when you kind of share it. And I tease them or bring, you know, like, I don't know if you do this for your friend group. I know you saw us, like I bring in like breath work workshops for like my friends at our house or like past re- life regression workshops for friends. And then I, we have dinner afterwards. Yeah. You guys don't do that? I, I, I don't do that. But every time my mom comes over, she says, oh, we're we having another therapy session. <laughs> exactly. And I don't even mean to. I know. But she usually cries and has some good self-reflection. <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing is, is like, that's what it is. Is like anybody can go have dinner in somebody's house, but you yeah. come there a couple hours early and you do a major breath workshop for cathartic breathing that gets people to, you know, achieve different things just by breath. I mean, it's just, a, it's magical. It creates a cool experience, right? And that's mm-hmm. part of what it is just to enjoy the experience. And there's things that have worked for us and that we've used for project you. And these are all people who've been vetted. That's what's the beauty about actually having courses like project you is you get to bring people in and you see the benefits. And I just bring it to our, our friend group anyways. So after he did cathartic breath work, he was like, wow, this is really cool. He had like really great experiences. I did man, you really needed TM. So I introduced him to, you know, Dr. Edward Smith around here. And uh, who's been practicing TM with Maharshi, the original Maharshi for, I mean, he's been almost 40, the 70s, I believe. Yeah, yeah, 40, 50 years now. And he still looks like he's 20, by the way. And he's, I think he's early 80s, maybe. 
um, late seventies. I have no idea. Yeah, but it's it's amazing how this energy. Anyways, so he's telling me he's like, man, this is this wonderful experience. And I said, yeah, this is your whole. You're you're now opening yourself to the first time you're realizing that you really have this 100 percent inner world. He's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And he's like, he's like, I always knew I could. I was like, like angry or happy or sad. Like people understand that from a, like an elementary like psychology. And he's like, I know I was just happy, but he's like, I didn't know this whole inner world existed. And it's like, again, like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, not to the the degree I understood exactly what he was saying. It was just more of like, I didn't realize I could work on my inner world. Mm -hmm. I guess it was just, I thought it was, was there. And I didn't really know that there was a way to be the architect of your inner world. I'm laughing because uh, Hallie and I had a debate for you, about people, 11 minutes. People can be the architect of their own lives. I okay, believe that. Okay, that's good. Because I, I really like the concept of saying like the 200% life and how do you become the architect of somebody's personal spiritual growth and allows them to do it. And I think you can teach them how to be the architect Hallie and I argued with this life. for about 15 minutes and then we moved on. But anyways, so the part of the, all that too is... Um, you know, it, it's really that inner world, which is happiness, joy, peace. It's the higher states. And today um, we wanted to kind of revisit um, a really the longest standing study of happiness um, that started in 1938, by the way. Robert uh, Wallinger, he's a professor of psychiatry at the Harvard um, Medical School. And he's also the founder and the executive director of the Lifespan, Lifespan Research Foundation, which is continuing on a study that looked at two fundamental questions, right? Since 1938, which is how do you measure happiness, right? And what makes people happy? Now, just to qualify the kind of definition of happy, I think, again, that's like the inner state of how do I feel good, um, happy. I, I still think happiness is like a fleeting emotion, which is why it. I just always. I you know, even on in an interview that I listened to, I think somebody asked um, do- the doctor, like, like with the definition of happiness, or how do you actually know yeah. if those people in the study are happy? And even the doctor was like, it is, it's so, so subjective. Yeah. And what makes you happy is going to be different than what makes me happy. And so, so a lot of it is self-reported about what their happiness levels are, or if they're happy or not. But then they also interviewed their, like their friend group and, and family group to also say, well, is that person happy to kind of like do some sort of little bit of control? My point being like, what is happiness was not necessarily part of the study, but because exactly. it, it is so hard. My, yep. Like, how do you, say whether or not someone is happy because it is self-reported and yeah. you can either say feel that you're happy or you're not um which i thought was kind of interesting that they didn't dive too much into that piece but whether but measuring people's happiness and what makes them happy was slightly different yeah because i think you know um joy and peace inside is really the ultimate constant that people are looking for. And in my, my view of how I define happiness, which is like a moment creates happiness, which is the inner world. You can create peace, joy, enthusiasm, love that can be constant regardless of what the outer moments are happening anyway. So they didn't really dive into it, but, and I think when they were talking, I I don't know this to be true, but I assume that when they were using the word happy, they were using it as an all encompassing. That's what I mean. That's exactly. That All of con- that. that constant How do you feel inside? Joy and fulfillment exactly. and yes. good energy. And remember 1938, I mean, what was it like the Psycho-Cybernetics was like one of the first self-help books that came out in oh, like yeah. the 50s about that. Like, a, you know, and he was a plastic surgeon and he was to basically uh, work not on plastic surgery like today. He would like if somebody lost their limb or like got burnt or got into a 
an accident and he would kind of work on there. And that's where the original 21 days came from, by the way. And Psycho Cybernetics was a book uh, where he said it took on average 21 days for the person to get used to their new either issue or whatever they had, had fixed on it. And that's where the 21 to form a habit to form it. Wasn't really that's, a sorry, wasn't it wasn't forming a habit. It was where idea yes. of the twenty one days to form a habit. Exactly, came from. that's exactly right. It was more that it took twenty one days for them to get used to their new arm or their new nose or whatever it was that they worked through, um, which is kind of fascinating. But anyway, so they looked at this it was nineteen. Think about the nineteen thirty eight. They started measuring this, and this had everybody in it from basically, um, if you think about who was actually in there, it was thousands of people have been. And by the way, they're. Uh, the original group it had people from like John, JFK presidents to people that were in inner cities and everyone in between. What? Well, in 1938, it was only Harvard sophomores. Yeah. So I'm just saying the whole, over the yeah, state, yeah, and yeah. then over time they added in a different, some other additional control groups, yep. which expanded to inner, um, inner cities in Boston and then eventually, to, and it was only men for a really, really yeah. long time. I think up, up until maybe like the early 2000s, and then they right. added in women, and then they started to measure both all of them and then their their, their, offspring. their offspring. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I think what was really interesting about it, when they measured this, it wasn't like a, it was self-reporting, but they also went to their house to monitor yes. them, which I thought was like, I think it was like once a month they went there. Yes. I think it was once a month and they went there and actually observed too. Yeah, so it wasn't, was interesting. yeah, it wasn't just like somebody that click a, the five, you know, are you happy today? Smiley faces. They were actually observing and diving deep into the question. So it was mm -hmm. a really intense study for what it is. And it's, st it's still ongoing, which yeah. I think is, is really cool. Um, but let's, let's start with what, uh, what doesn't make you happy. Because uh, I think that's really interesting of what they found studying this. Again, the longest study of happiness. And we'll we'll link some shows that he's been on this kind of podcast tour talking about the study of this. Um, and there's some really great interviews that are out there. But for us, I think there's some key takeaways that we can take away. What doesn't make you happy? It's not fame. It's not money. It's not the awards. It's not work. It's not food, alcohol, or drugs, right? And before we get on to the punchline of what really what it is, it's I think it's fascinating to pause for a second. And if somebody were to say kind of what makes you happy, I don't think, especially the, the friends that are listening to this this podcast, probably those things aren't the first things that come to mind. But I think if you would go ask most people um, what makes them happy, they'll probably mention one of those things. Yeah, I don't know if this necessarily applies, but for um, I, I on social media this past week, I asked my audience what the question, what makes you feel most like yourself? And I thought it was... It's a great question. Yeah, and I thought it was so interesting, the responses, because, okay, granted, I didn't ask what makes you happy, but I would imagine... I'm going to make the link here that if you're feeling most like yourself, you're likely feeling pretty yeah. happy. And so it was fascinating to me to hear the responses, which actually had nothing to do with money, food, awards, fame, not, nothing like that. It was being in nature, being with friends and family, um, being with themselves, whether they were connecting, yeah. journaling, were exercising. It was all... Um, it wasn't necessarily about a particular outcome or a goal achieved. It was just kind of existing in this flow of energy that just made them feel happy. Yeah. So anyway, it was just, it was very, very interesting. And a lot of it went back to, to 
um, being with other people and yeah. connection. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is, is so it's, you know, you ask people and they say, well, well, money makes me happy. Right. I'm sure it does. Right. Again, it's, it's but it's fleeting. Mm-hmm. This is the thing with all of these And things. it only goes so far. Exactly. Like fame, money, awards, work, all of those things, by the way, I'll, let's just put work aside for a second. Cause I think you can find meaningfulness in, in any of the things you're doing. It doesn't mean nobody's saying that like the study group weren't doing these things or nor would we ever say like, don't go after any of these things. Like they those, were Harvard graduates. Yes, one exactly. was became a president exactly. and, you know, like exactly. they're very successful people. Exactly. And from all different levels. And so it's yeah. like, it's the, the really thing is, so it's not about not achieving these things. Those are goals, right? Those are goals that are in there, but ultimately it doesn't sustain you. That's the thing. That's why there is this constant drip of needing more of those things. Once you become a little famous, you need to be more famous, right? For most people, once you make a little bit amount of money, you need more money. Once, you know, something that used to be a dream, that's this massive luxury item for you. Once you get it, it's no longer a luxury item. Nobody can tell me that anything they've had for more than a duration, an extended period of time that was once a luxury item for them is still a luxury item. I mean, you may say it's a luxury item. I mean, the way it feels inside, it doesn't do it anymore because those things always go away. So I don't care if it's the desire to have a bigger house or a car or a boat or a jet or any of those things that you have at some point, once you have it, you no longer feel like it's a luxury item. Cause now if you're playing that game, then you're off to chasing the next feeling, right? You're going to chase the, how do I get more money or more awards or more meaningful work? Right. And so you just dive into all of that instead of realizing like, Nothing wrong with any of that. You can get lost in your work. You can get lost in making wonderful food. You can have a wonderful glass of wine or whatever it is. You can get lost in ayahuasca, right? I mean, I don't know. Like it just, you can do all those different things that you want to do, but at the end of the day, you still come back to this residual constant, um, feeling that you have inside, right? And, and you, it's you, that's what relaxes you. So those things, the fame, the money, the rewards is not what made anybody happy doesn't mean that they didn't have them. It doesn't mean they weren't successful. It doesn't mean they didn't enjoy those things. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. It's just not there. So if that wasn't is, and, and Hallie kind of led into a little bit is, so what really does make people happy, right? And that is ultimately the relationship that you have with other people. And that's why you were saying it's, and, and when you pulled your audience, it was more about being connected with others. Connected with themselves and connected with others. Yes. Like it is the relationship with yourself. That's just as important as the relationship with others, but it's all about relationships. It's not about any th- one thing Yeah, it's about that connection. And I would dive deeper into this conversation. Uh, we talked about this yesterday and we go quite as deep uh, in for this. It's that ultimate relationship with you. And I mean the real you. Cause that's really ultimately where the peace and the joy and the contentment will ultimately come from. This is a deeper conversation with that is, is knowing who you are, right? It's know thyself, which has been inscribed in things for thousands of years, right? How do you know thyself? And those are like big breadcrumbs that people many, many years before have left us to say, know thyself before you walk in here. I mean, how many temples or pyramids has been etched on, right? Know thyself. That's a little bread clump, bread clump, bread crumb for people to pause and go, do I know myself? And the reality is, is when you don't know yourself, you get lost in fame, money, awards, work, food, alcohol, or drugs, because you're trying to find yourself. So you think you're finding yourself by in one of these things. When you call off that search and actually fall back into knowing thyself, that's when it can really shine and you can go into money, awards, work, food, and you, and they may come or go, you just, you realize they're not you and you don't need them to feel turned on. You don't need them to feel joy or happiness in this case. So that relationship with yourself is first and foremost, which is 
actually when my buddy was talking about that, he's like, I think for the first time, like I had this whole inner experience. I go, yeah, you probably realized who you really are for a moment. And he's like, I did. He's like, I realized I wasn't the voice. That's just, I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. And I think once you have that awareness, if you think about all the teachers that have come, you know, before us and, and listened and studied and most of them, none of them have really taught techniques. What they really taught were awareness, know thyself, consciousness, right? Shakti, your energy flow, right? Those things is what they really taught pure awareness. And the, what they were pointing at is that, look, that's the, that's the teachings is when you know thyself and you have awareness of yourself, everything else actually becomes much easier. And so that first relationship that you have, it has to be with you because once you understand that, then the, the rest of it just becomes something you do. And look, it doesn't mean that when you know thyself that you're not going to have anger show up. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have jealousy show up. It doesn't mean you're not going to have irritation, but you have to learn how to handle that. So if you're sitting there in a group and all of a sudden you get irritated, you go, huh, man, I haven't been irritated in, in a year. I thought this was gone. Apparently it showed, but come on in, buddy. Like you just have to let it be open to that because now what you're doing, that's the teaching of the openness, right? That's the teaching of being really open. And when you're open, you're just, you didn't ask irritation to show up. It just showed up and you go, oh, wow, I see it. Just like you didn't ask the rain to come in. You go, oh, wow, I see the rain. It's no difference. One of the things that our Project You participants said uh, yesterday, I think it was Ed, that I thought was so interesting when he said, um, you know, because he had done a lot of the external yes. searching and, and finding success and losing success and finding it again and all this stuff. But one little phrase he said was, something along the lines of I knew I had to, or I finally, he said, I finally met myself. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that is, I mean, we're talking about relationships here. It's like yeah. he, he finally met himself and then he could start building. Um, until he met himself, he couldn't have a relationship with himself because he hadn't even met himself yet. Well, what he, what he also went on and talked about, he's like, I achieved fame and money and all these different things, you know, relatively. And, yeah. and he had all this stuff and he's like, I, I just felt so false. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that because they they haven't met them. So they don't know their own relationship. Mm -hmm. What they know their relationship to be is things, objects of consciousness, which is what all those things are. They're just objects of consciousness, which they come and go. Just like your body is an object of consciousness. It come and goes, right? It just does. What doesn't, right, is that who you are. And that's why you're able to observe all this. So that's the first relationship. Then we'll, this is kind of like when you break this conversation up in the 200% life, this is that 100% inner world first. It's that knowing that relationship, right? And then there are some things you can do, right? So I think that's, that's just... We'll Interestingly, I will say the study didn't talk about that at all. And that, I would be really curious to hear um, somebody interview this guy about the relationship with self and how that yeah. plays into... Um, people's, uh, I don't want to say happiness, like basically their levels of happiness or the happiness spectrum. Um, or did the people who they found were more happy, did they in fact have better relationships with themselves too, in addition to having better relationships with other people? I'm, I would just be fascinated to hear what like the correlation there was. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll see if we can get them on. But I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be great to, you know, to ask about that, that whole self-awareness piece in yeah. terms of how much they become aware. I, also, I will say he did talk about self-awareness. He did talk yeah. about self-awareness. Yeah. I, I, I think also it's a, you have to be, will, it has to be the right audience to have that conversation. I think a lot sure. of the participants probably didn't, weren't aware 
of the the deepness that they could have with themselves. I don't know. I think as you get old, I don't know. I haven't talked to them. So I just think it's a, it's a, it's a much deeper conversation to have, but one that's really, really important of that self-awareness of you. I don't mean just self-awareness of your actions. Like, I think that's the first level of self-awareness. It's, it's sure you're going to be self-aware of what you do. Real self-awareness though, is knowing who you are. I mean, really who you are. You're the observer, you're the witness of life, right? You're the one who's back here, knowing that you're in a body, knowing that you can hear a voice, knowing that these feelings that show up just randomly, knowing that there's a voice in there. Like, it's like the thing you can never do is you can never fight with something's nature. And this is where people go wrong. They think spirituality is about waking up and having nothing but positive thoughts all day. That is not what spirituality is about. Spirituality about is purely about being aware of whatever thought you're having being aware of whatever emotion you're experiencing, being aware of what's ever happening outside in the world. That is it from there. That's all you have to remember. We can be done because what people go in there and they go, no, I have to dress up my inside to make it feel like I'm spiritual. So I shouldn't have the fact that this thought showed up in here that I wanted to punch this person on the side of the road, right? Whatever it is, this person cut me off and I shouldn't have this thought that I'm pissed off at them. No, no, no. The whole point is to actually be aware that that happened and you go, and you have to be willing to have enough separation to go, wow, that was wild. Like I just, this car cut me off and I just, this thought came through and this emotion came through that I wanted to just punch them. <laughs> or I'm just using that as an example. You get it. That's what you have to be willing to see. And if you're willing to see that, that's, you're knowing who you are because now you're the, you're the, you're have objective observation because you're aware that you're aware that you're aware of what's happening. Um, actually he, he and his, this other guy, something Schultz, they, um, I think it was like his, the associate director or something. They came up with, um, the wiser model, which actually the W it's an acronym, the wiser model to, to help people work through the things you're talking about, thinking, thoughts, emotions, whatever. Um, W stands for watch. That's yeah. the first step is to just watch, watch your emotions so that you can be, can you, so you can begin to work on that self-awareness, um, internal self-awareness. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and so it's from there. And then, so once there's this, that, that's where the frame has to start. That's why in the 200% life, 100% is the inner world first. That you have to, and we heard that from our participants yesterday, by the way, is you have to put that piece together. And then the rest of it doesn't mean that the rest of it goes the way you want it to. It just becomes much easier um, to handle whatever is happening outside. So then fundamentally you go to the kind of the 100% outer world, if you will. And then it's the key relationships, right? And why don't you break us down of what that really looks like? Well, um, you know, especially, I, I, I love that he touched on in one of the interviews, on the whole introvert versus extrovert mm -hmm. component, because as an introvert, I have very few friends, <laughs> connections, whatever you want to call it. But the level of happiness doesn't, in, it has nothing to do with how many people exactly. are necessarily in your life. It has to do with um, quality, essentially quality over quantity and the people that they found who were happiest or what made people happy was having like one or two people who were like your core go-to people that like no matter what was happening, you had a couple of those people in your life. And if you didn't, it could have adverse effects on your happiness. And then it was also about like the key to that point. It was about having, even for people that were extroverted, it was actually about still having a core group yes. of one, two yes. or three people. Then they may be friends with a whole array of people, but it was actually right. one or two friends that were really, really close. It's the depth of relationship, yes. not just, yeah, again, 
number of people in your life and having lots of social because uh, extroverts like to have lots of social connections and typically enjoy being social yeah um but it's like the depth of those relationships well i think it's like the self-awareness piece when i was listening to it and and talk several times when I, when I listened to him was more about how do i bring depth into the relationships even more in everything that we're doing into um or your employees your partners your kids your significant partner if you have one your my my mom and dad right like all of that like how do you just be a little bit deeper into those relationships because at the end that's what's really going to matter um Mm -hmm. you know is like having that real deep and then also he said something i thought was really fascinating in the study that they found is they found that the people that were um married and who ended up getting divorced they their kind of their commentary to them was like i'm bored right or is i don't really know who this person is anymore mm-hmm. and they really attributed that to not really tending to the relationship now right. there's different circumstances of course but generally speaking it was about being able to tend relationships like you go in and have to tend a garden yeah. like the garden just doesn't grow you have to tend it it's the same thing here for partners right in in terms of divorces we're talking about this is the ones that actually tended the relationships had the best relationships right it is i think one of the things they said in the study was the people that were the the happiest and healthiest at 50 in the relationships were the happy and healthiest at 80 plus Mm -hmm. years old as well too so it was about tending those relationships and i look at that as like how do you go out there like look your partner even though you may see them every single day they're growing a lot too, just like you are. And so it's like, where do you like, do you even know who this person is anymore? Do you even know who you are? And I think that's the, and that's not a negative thing. I mean, really stop and going like, huh, what, what are you, what's changed in your life? Right? Like, cause you're so close to them that sometimes you don't get deep into those conversations. Yeah. They said it was really important to stay curious about, yes, obviously your significant other, but really about any people and yeah. the other, any pe- person in your life that you're close to or want to maintain a strong relationship with like radical curiosity i think is what he said is how they quoted that right it was like really or maybe that's a ray dalio thing but like really really curious about your partner and about your friends i also think they talked about um which i think is is really important is having a close friend group that you are tending as well that you're doing things that's structured when I say structured, I mean that's scheduled. So that could be a weekly tennis match or that could be a multiple day walk, right? Like that could be. Um, and they called it social fitness. I mean, it's like it's working just like we talk about your emotional fitness or your physical fitness. It's your social fitness. And how yeah. do you become very intentional about scheduling things, asking the right questions, texting people? I, I think Ed Milet on that podcast just said that he'll send those texts. Yep to people to just connect. But what I thought was super interesting that he did went one step beyond, which was um, not just saying, Hey, was thinking about you. Although those are really important texts too, but think saying, Oh, I'm thinking about you. Um, and here's, here's why, or here's what you mean to me or exactly. why you're important to me in my life. Um, just adding that extra little piece just starts deepening that relationship. Yeah. It's like even your, your kids or your partner, you could always go, I love you. And let me tell you why, right? Like, it's like, I was like, I love you because you have a big heart or I love you because the way you acted to your sister today. Right. So it's like, you're always tying it back together in just one additional step. And remember, this isn't, you know, that's why it's, it's a cultivating a group. This is why you don't have to do it to everybody. This is why you find your friend group and that you can really tend to it, right? You don't tend to every garden in your state, right? You tend to the garden that's yours. And so that's why it's important to understand your, your, your core group. And I can actually speak from experience when we moved to Stowe, um, you know, I had friends uh, up in Shelburne, but probably not a 
ton that I hung out with, to be honest with you. Like it was very, you know, we would do like a couple times a month. We'd probably see people that I've, especially friends that I've had from high school and it was fun. Right. And, and, and they're great. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But one of the things that was really interesting when I moved to Stowe, I didn't know this was going to happen. We moved there for, for different reasons for, for lifestyle, but apparently so almost everybody else. Right. So when we were there, it was there. I instantly was kind of introduced to this friend group that basically they skin every single morning, or at least two or three or four of them. Right. And there's about 10 to 12 of them. Right. They ski all the time. They mountain bike. They do the exact same things they are. And they're forcing that social engineering. Right. Which is like, they're always out there. And we talk a lot about this right here. And actually I sent them that podcast to all of them because, and they're always like, this is what we have. Cause it's like every day I'm for an hour, I'm socially engineering either bike ride or a skin and we're talking the whole time. Right. And then that continues on. There's a whole text thread that goes on with them. Right. So it's like, we share funny things with it. So it's almost like you socially engineered a group of things that you like to do. It's exercise, it's therapy for your own part. Like you just, you have deeper conversations. Sometimes you don't talk at all and you're sitting next to them. You're just with them. Um, again, that's for us. Like I, I you can do that with a walking group or whatever it is, or a tennis group or whatever it happens to be. But we've, I have a book club. You have a book. Club. I mean, honestly, it's anything. It doesn't matter. It could be poetry. I'm just saying from all our standpoint, that's what we, we did. And, um, it's, you just socially engineer your group, uh, and, and it helps out that way. And I, but it's like, you do have to put energy in there. You have to make sacrifices. You have to sometimes be on somebody else's schedule to, in order to make it happen. And we get so busy sometimes like, Oh, I'm just going to go work out in my house. Right. Sure. Then you're getting the workout in, but you're also missing the, the connection. social connection piece, which again, if what makes people the happiest, right. As defined in this and it creates the most long happiness is having key relationships. You should wake up every day and make sure you have key relationships. Um, so, well, let's just talk about that for a second. So we t- obviously the c- key relationships makes you happier or makes people happy, but it also has that huge impact on longevity. Um, it delays mental and physical decline, increases longevity overall. Um, like you mentioned, it's the people who are most satisfied in their relationships at 50. Yeah were actually healthiest in their eighties, not just happy in their eighties, but actually healthiest in their eighties. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And that there is a bi-directional relationship between health and happiness. So the healthier you are, the happier you are, the happier you are, the healthier you are, which was, um, virtuous cycle. Yeah. Very interesting too. Um, yeah. Well, so, I mean, so again, when you hear this, the first relationship, right. Is, 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 there's models and techniques you can do, but the reality is, is everyone can knows how to go cultivate a relationship, right? Like you just put time and energy into it. Right. I mean, no, I mean, seriously, like you don't have to be great at it, but you can just, you can send a text message, right? You can schedule, everyone can probably go schedule a date with your friend right now, right? Or a visit or a workout. I think it's key to remember though, is that some of these things you are, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to see your friends or do things on the side or whatever that looks like for it. And if you're not socially outgoing, you may, it may like, I always look at this. There's a couple moms that I, that I can, that I can reference that don't like to do it, but once they're with everybody, they love it. And they're like, I need to do this more. And it's like, yes, you do. So just schedule it. Like you have to just put yourself in there and be able to do some of these things. Yeah. Or I was going to say there's like lower risk. I mean, as an extreme introvert and somebody who is, not socially outgoing at all there's ways to um to start inserting yourself start inserting yourself like if you really love yoga we'll go to a yoga yoga class and you will eventually start having conversations and that connection exactly. with other people and maybe you'll find one person who is your person and then you you know start going to coffee afterwards or whatever 
But yeah, for me, like walking into a social engagement and just talking to random people, I don't. Well, that's not what we're talking about. That's yeah, for like, me too. That seems that's like, like a, a no. It's a negative energy drain yeah. for me anyway. So not in a bad way, but just mean like that's not yeah. my scene. That's why it was like for this, it was like we're exercising, which I love to exercise and it happens to be people doing it with me. And so you, that's what they also said in the studies, like go find yes. your group, whatever that is. That could be knitting. That could be a religion um or it could just be a coworker that you co-worker, like, kind yes. of get along you with but you decide to go for a walk with yeah yeah and start like to deepen that relationship that's a great example for my mom who is retired now and she i think walks with a walking group she joined a walking group because she loves the walk right and now since she made friends from the walking group and i think they walk i don't know three four five times a week if yeah, not every awesome. single day and then you know i called her last night and she's like oh our walking group's over and then she also got in the pickleball with the same group and so now she's playing pickleball and she's like oh the pickleball group's over so again, That's it just awesome. yeah. it leaks into it. So go, don't just go like, you know, maybe you like hiking, go join a hike. I mean, there's, there's groups for everything. That's the part of it is because people want to find people that they like to do of whatever they like to do. And then they can do it together. And then you can talk about what you, what you like to do. I think it's the social engineering part when you go out into big groups is like you get things that people don't really love to do or they don't necessarily, which they should, they don't love to do the things you like to do. And so that kind of is like, well, I don't really want to talk about that. Right. I I don't really want to talk about politics, but maybe somebody loves a politics group and they want to be part of a think tank and that's part of their thing. Right. So again, you just go find your, what you enjoy doing. That could be from canoeing to hiking, to walking, to chess, to, I don't know, there's thousands of things people love to do. Right. So you also may just love building businesses. So then you get around other people who love building businesses and that's what you, that's what it was. In fact, for a long period of my time of my life, that's what I did. I got on a plane and I visited friends that loved to build businesses. I was really in that phase of my life. We also did some fun adventures because we, we were adventure people, but that's really what it was. It was these mastermind groups and we really, our time would then focus on, you know, how do you, you know, strategy and models and systems and how do you handle this situation? Right. Um, and then I think, you know, so again, everyone can find their group of things, but it's those key relationships that matter. So really tend to it do you sorry i'm just thinking because i know that you have those various friend groups and you know you do kind of different things with maybe different people but do you can you think of like two like one to three like you have core one to three like core go-to people like all of a sudden let's say you move to the beach and you're not going to be skinning with these guys every day still like do you have like your core people i mean the short answer is yes i also think i have the core people because we also like to do the same things um, for instance, like if I got out of business, I probably wouldn't hang out with the people that are doing business that much. Yeah, like, I guess that's my point. It's, yeah. like it's your thing, right? But you have your, your core group They can still be friends for that. But I think part of your core group is because they share the passion of passions and things you like to do. Right. I guess so. But I consider the core group that they're going to be there no matter it's no matter what and what the circumstances and whether I'm doing stuff with them. Sure. You build deep. Yes. I mean, I think they would always be there. It just, how, then what would you do to tend to it? Like, that's the thing, right? Well, if I mean, you I'm just thinking about who my core people are. It's Bill yep. and my sister yep. and maybe in like my mom. Yeah. Like those are my three core people and I don't have to like go do activities with them. No, I don't think you do. But I think, you know, some people don't have family, right? So like, then you have to wake up because that's, you just named all family. Yeah, but I mean, that's just, yeah. I would would say for most, yes, I would say like my brother, my dad, my mom, they would all be there no matter what I needed, they would do that. I think, I think it's almost a separate conversation. But they're not there because they're just my family. They're there because they're also like the people, like I met them because they were my family, they're my family, but, um, 
but some people I know consider their friends their family. Sure. I'm just saying, like, I'm just going to say some random guy that I go, you go, I'm just curious that you go skiing with who you became friends with. Is he one of your core people who will be there whether you stop going skiing with them or not? I think they would, right? The answer would be yes. They would help you out no matter what it is. You'd but have not to help f- you out. I just, I guess I'm thinking, like, who are, who are like your ride or die people. Again, I think it comes down to, I mean, I, the short answer is yes, they, they would, they would do that. But I think it really comes down to how you are defining that. Uh, I think like your, your social engagement people, I think if people play golf with a group of people and they stop playing golf with them, they're going to stop. It doesn't mean they don't care about the person. They're just oh, going to stop yeah. being with them. Yeah. Right. And I th- so I think like that's the, the separation between the two. Like my brother, I could say he could do anything for me at any point in time that I asked for. Right. Or my dad. But I don't hang out with him as much but as I hang out with my other friends. I was going to say and that doesn't necessarily. I just I feel like it's like as an example way. this morning, like I had a tree that blew over in my driveway. I called one of my friends at skis. He brought us at six o'clock in the morning. He brought his chainsaw up and he cut it down. Yeah, but it's, I guess for me, the core relationships isn't just about doing things with each other, doing things for each other. It's being there at 2 a.m. and taking a phone call because you're going through like a really tough time. Isn't that being there for them? Uh, Yeah, I just don't mean like like physically, but just like even just like an emotional way. Totally, yeah. You can be 100% yourself with them. Yes. And and maybe that guy is that for you. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think... um I think the, I think you got to look at it in terms of like your core group of like what really flows with you. I think like there are friends that like you do friend things with, but then there's people that will always help you for anything that you're doing. But I guess my point of saying is that like, I think families again can be that person. I think it's a little bit different though. Well, I don't, but <laughs> for for your, I, I do. I mean, we're not going to, we're going to yeah, win yeah, this, yeah, but yeah. like, I, I think again, like I could call my brother or my dad or my mom or any of my family and they could call me and they, it didn't matter what they said or did or they needed that. Yeah, but not there. everybody feels that way, can do that with family. Yeah. And I think that sometimes you have that with your friends and there can be long standing friend relationships that you've had. And those are the ones you want to cultivate. So you find things to do with them. So you continue to grow and, the relationship right and for me i still want to continue to cultivate those relationships just because their family doesn't mean that they're less important totally. to cultivate the deeper yeah, that i don't know why you would think they would be well because you were talking about do you want to do that with friends and it maybe doesn't matter so much for family because they'll just always be there but i don't feel that way about family they're not just always going to be there you have to be really intentional about whatever the relationship it just so happens for me to be family but um but for other people it's their very 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 close friends who are their fam who are their family and regardless of what the definition of that, those people are who are super close to you, you have to cultivate those relationships. Agreed. Yeah. So again, if anything, it's like that self-awareness around how do you build more relationships? How do you cultivate and tend your relationships? And then um, just make it be aware. First, being aware of who you are and then being aware of any relationship you had and make sure you're spending the time to actually cultivate the relationship itself. I just wanted to end with this one thing. Sure. End with it. That the... The, um, there's been re- there's been studies about regrets of the dying, but even in oh, yeah. this study, they pr- they specifically asked the people what their biggest regret was for these people in this study. Of course, who were much older, they wish they hadn't spent so much time at work and more time with the people that they care about. Yeah, that's it. I'm curious to to hear that broken down because I think sometimes people hear that though and they're like, "Why well, shouldn't work at all?" Right? Like it's always like that's uh, no, I don't. Cause when I, it's funny. Cause when I presented that to like 500 of our employees, they're like, like, you know, somebody's like, it's always kind of an interesting conversation. Like I wish it works so hard. I also think it's the depth of work that you do. And that way I explained this yesterday to everybody was basically like, it's not that it's, it's not necessarily that you don't work. 
right. just means that if you're working, you're working. I think it also means that when you go home to be with your family and that depth of experience, you're not actually working while you're trying to be with your family on everyday type of occurrences, meaning you actually have a time to be with exactly them. Your phone's away, you're doing different things. It's, it's, so you have the freedom to be able to do some of those things as well. It's, and, and yes, there is an element that maybe somebody's working 80 hours a week or 75 hours a week or flying all over and that's their thing. Sure, that's a different component of what we're talking about. I think for most people though, it's about being present with their family when they're there. I think most people have plenty of time to be with their family or with their friends. They're just choosing not to be that present with them. Right, they're choosing to spend more time at work than they are with their family. Whether it's their choice, whether they're choosing to because there's external pressures or because they're, they're choosing to because they think that's what they should be doing. I don't, but I think ultimately they're just spending too much, they're spending more time at work than they are with their. I think some people just also get bored and they don't know how to really cultivate relationships with people. I'm serious. Like I said, cause I think, and then they, yeah. they naturally gravitate to what they can go do themselves. That gives them some dopamine hit, which is work for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, relationships are a lot of work. Yeah. So sometimes work work is... Easier. Way easier. Yeah, well, it's like they can naturally, they just get in that, I think a lot of people just get caught in that, right? And they but just, inter- but it is they a stay regret, right there. But it is a regret, so what can we, what can we learn from To be present that. with your, that, yeah. I hate, I love the word, but also at the same time, it's thrown around so much, the presence, like that's yeah. really what it comes down to, is how do you be super present with the people that are in front of you? How do you be super present with your friend group, whether that's your family or whoever it is that you're, that you're associated with, but really, truly giving them your presence? And then that's really the depth of the relationship that's there. And that really, really matters. Um, so take this, be aware, build relationships with yourself. Also, uh, really focus on um, cultivating at least one or two relationships. Listen to this, grab the action you could do. It would be very easy to go send a text message, call somebody on your way home, whatever it is you can do to um, take one action towards cultivating a relationship today. Hey everybody, before you go, Helen and I wanted to ask you for a favor. As business owners, you understand that reviews and testimonials are an essential part of growing your business and reaching new audiences. Well, from two business owners to another, we would be incredibly grateful if you could support us by leaving a review. It does really help us get the podcast in the hands of other conscious business owners. So thank you.